kind of an interesting process by which I got to what I want to talk to you about today. Richard Grass sent me a note saying that there was a young lady at work that didn't know anything about God but was curious. And did I have anything I could recommend that he might give to such a person? And one of the problems with all the stuff I've recorded is I said it all to you folks. And I sort of assume that you all know what I'm talking about. So I had to go find something that didn't assume that you knew what I was talking about. And that was harder than I thought. But I did finally find something. It was in a talk that I gave back in 2014. So what I've done is I've dusted it off because as I listened to it, it actually pertains to where we are right now. You all know that coincidence is not a kosher word, right? So I figure that that's what I need to talk about. And for those of you who remember from six years ago what I said, you're excused. But rest of you hang tight. The question that I asked and will ask again is why do we believe what we believe and why do we keep doing the stuff that God says to do? If you look at the people in the Bible, and I'll take Jacob because he's easy to do, Jacob's life was a mess. He's one of the patriarchs, but he's a real mess. He got tricked by his father-in-law. He had a totally dysfunctional family. The majority of the brothers were so upset that they sold one of their brothers into slavery. He's in exile. His brother was set out to murder him. So there isn't anything specially salutary about the life of Jacob. Yet he gets a whole lot of ink in the Bible. You know, I've known most of you for a long time. I've known a lot about you. People have family problems. People get sick. People have financial problems. There are just all sorts of problems in a congregation. I and mean, we're not a big congregation, but you guys got lots of problems. Fortunately, everybody doesn't have the same problem or we'd be really in trouble. You all have different problems. But my point is, as you look at us or you look at Jacob, why are we doing this? Because it doesn't seem like things go better for people who believe in God as opposed to people who don't. That's sort of the question I was asking. Some of these problems come upon us because of what we believe. In other words, it says over and over again, if you follow God, that the world's going to hate you and it's going to give you problems. And some of the problems come in spite of what we believe because we are just normal human beings that mess things up. And, and as I was looking at the list of things that I had six years ago, it hasn't changed. The world's a dangerous place. And as you go through this world, it is perilous. It absolutely is. And I had a list last time of ISIS. Well, ISIS has been replaced by BLM. But ISIS is still out there. I mean, they're just not as big a problem as they used to be. It looks like the Democrats are trying to start a race war. That hasn't changed, and it hadn't changed from six years ago. Yeah. And, of course, our government's out of control, but it's always out of control. So the world is a dangerous place as we go through it. And the question I would ask you is, what is your strategy for the journey? 
So you get to choose what you believe about the journey, and you get to choose how you want to play it. Now, there's lots of stuff that's going to happen to you that you don't get to choose. You didn't get to choose where you were born. You got some choice in where you live and what you do. But stuff happens to you that you don't really have any choice over. So the question is, how do you want to play it? What's your strategy? How are you going to work through this? One of the things that's obvious is everybody's born, and everybody comes to the end of mortal life, life on this earth. Happens to everybody, and it's unlikely God will make an exception in your case. So as you're going through life, you see the point of your birth where you came into this world, and you can anticipate at some point you're going to exit this world. Everybody does. So in between, what's the purpose? Socrates, Greek philosopher, said that the unexamined life is not worth living. In other words, if you don't try and figure out why you're here, who you are, you're wasting your time. And I agree with that. And God, by the way, says pretty much the same thing. Years ago, this is decades ago, Kay and I went up to a conference somewhere up in the mountains, Vail or someplace like that, and there was a guy that uh, wrote young teenage Christian books, name of Frank Peretti. Some of you probably read some of his books. Very entertaining. And if you've got young people that you want to introduce to stuff, they're a great read for teenagers, middle school, that age range. Guy's very entertaining. And one of the bits he did up there is he said, let's look at a chicken. Now, one of the things that does not happen is a chicken doesn't spend any time trying to figure out what it means to be a chicken. And he does a little skit, what, 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 you know, what, what's it mean to be a chicken? It's absurd to think that a chicken spends just a whole lot of time in self-reflection and self-examination trying to figure out what the purpose of being a chicken is. And what I will suggest is that the world and the popular culture spends a whole lot of time dishing out chicken feed. And what the world tries to do is get you involved in the chicken feed so you aren't paying any attention to what the eternal purpose is. That's what most of our popular entertainment is. That's what most of our news is. That's what most of everything that popular culture dishes out. It's chicken feed. And if you recognize that, you know, occasionally you want a little chicken feed and go ahead and enjoy the chicken feed. But understand that it's not a good, steady diet. So, you got sort of two things going on. You've got a purpose and you've got a destination. Those are two different things. You can tell they're spelled differently, right? Purpose and destination are two different things. And the purpose is the reason for the journey that you're on. In other words, as you go through life, God has got you here for a reason. You're not just random. You're not just some bit of cosmic debris that happened to have landed here on Earth. You have a purpose. And the second is a destination. In other words, this life is leading somewhere. Don't confuse those two things. It's important that you keep them separate. People who focus on the destination, 
there's a popular Christian phrase for that. People who are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Their entire focus is on the destination. All I really care about is getting to heaven, getting to the world to come, however they describe it. All I'm focused on here is the destination. And because they are entirely focused on that, as I say, they're not much use in the world. The second pathology that you can have is you can ignore the destination and you can focus on the journey. There's a phrase for that too. He who dies with the most toys wins. That's somebody who is not focused on the destination. He's solely focused on the journey. You need to have both, and you need to keep them in balance. You need to be useful and productive and purposeful as you go through this life, but you also need to make every one of your decisions in light of the fact that you are going somewhere important. Because if you don't make your decisions in light of where you're going, you're apt to make decisions based on go with the flow. And it's very easy to get caught up in the flow. And in fact, lots of people go with the flow because it is safe, or reasonably so. So one of the things that you may have noticed if you've been paying attention to the news is there's this flurry about everybody getting on the Black Lives Matter bandwagon. You got corporations, you got politicians, you got everybody. And what that is, is fear. Because what happens is those who do not get on that bandwagon become a target. And you have somebody who makes a wrong statement, does something, and all of a sudden he gets fired. He gets thrown out of the position. You have university professors that have been fired because they're insufficiently enthusiastic about it. So not going with the flow is dangerous. Hence, lots of people decide that their strategy for this life is to go with the flow. Stay with the herd. As the herd moves along, if you're in the middle of the herd, you're sort of protected by the herd. So that's one strategy, and I'm suggesting to you it's not a very good strategy, but that's a strategy that a lot of people adopt. Now, Moses, interestingly, as well as Yeshua, say much the same thing. So in today's reading, in Deuteronomy 30.19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore choose life, that you and your offspring may live. Notice there's two things there. Choose life, and that you and your offspring may live. Not just you. You are a link in a chain. And what you're responsible for is choosing life so that you can live and prosper, but also to choose life so that your offspring can live and prosper. It isn't just you. And then Yeshua says something fairly similar in John 14, where his disciples are asking him questions. So let me just read John 14, starting at 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you for myself, that where I am you may be also, and you know the way where I am going. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. 
And Yeshua said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. And for those of you who have been around here for a while, envision a model of the tabernacle or the temple, whichever you can envision a model of. The tabernacle is probably easier. And you remember that there are three entrances in the tabernacle. You've got a big fence around the place. That's the first entrance. Then you've got the entrance to the tent itself. And then inside of the tent, you have the entrance to the Holy of Holies. How many entrances? Use your fingers if you have to. Three. The way, the truth, and the life. So when you go into the outer court of the tabernacle, you have put your feet on the way. You have entered the path. You have started the journey. And what you must do as soon as you come up is you must face the truth. And you have the sacrificial altar where you kill your goat. But there are five pillars going into the tent. And those five pillars represent the five books of Moses, the Torah. That's the truth. God tells you what the truth is. And he gives you a book that explains what the truth. So you put your feet on the way, and then you face the truth. And then as you face the truth, you come in, and you'll see that there are four pillars going into the Holy of Holies. The Gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That is your source of life. So as you come into the presence of God, you are basically in the presence of the source of life. And as the fall feast we're ginning up here, I'll remind you gently that as you read the procedure for going into the Holy of Holies that the high priest goes through, there's this long ritual of things that he's got to do. Whole chapter. And at the end of it is, oh, by the way, your sins will be forgiven. So, it doesn't start off with the goal of having your sins forgiven. It starts off with the goal of getting into the presence of God. And by the time you are in the presence of God, in order for you to be there, your sins have to be forgiven. Same thing with the way, the truth, and the life. You put your feet on the way, you face the truth, and when you are finally ready to come into the presence of God, that is life itself. So, as you're going through this life, you get to choose what your strategy is. That's the definition of free will. You get to choose how you're going to play the game. You get to choose how you're going to walk. And you can choose, I'm going to take the path of least resistance. I'm going to follow the biggest crowd. I'm going to be right in the middle of the popular culture because that's safe. Or you can choose, I am going to focus on life. Because the way of the crowd doesn't lead to life. At the end of this physical life that we are going through, there is no goal for that crowd. So all they're doing is focusing on the journey. What you want to do is you want to be focused on the goal as well as the journey, so making your decisions during the journey in light of the goal, 
But you also want to understand that there is a goal beyond the curtain that you're going towards. Now, I was talking to somebody yesterday who was a bit down, a bit down in the mouth. And one of the things that I said, and I completely agree with her, I wouldn't have said it, is the fact that you are still here means that you have got yet something to do or something to learn. Think about it this way. In fact, there's a rabbinic story that there's this terrible sinner, just is a reprobate, and he gets a flash, and he repents, and he comes to God, and God immediately kills him. And the story there is, this guy has got such a lifetime of bad behavior that once he finally gets to the point of forgiveness, we better take him out because if we let him go any farther, he's just going to fall back into what he was before. But my point is, when you guys and gals came to a knowledge of God, he didn't just take you out. He didn't say, oh, cool, the guy believes in Yeshua, he's saved, let's get him out of there before anything bad happens to him. That did not happen. Which means that there's stuff for you still to do, stuff for you still to learn, wisdom for you still to pass on. Once you, however you do it, say the sinner's prayer, whatever it is, this is not the end of your journey. In a way, it's the beginning. So as you're sitting here, if you're only focused on the fact that you've been saved and you don't do anything about it, then you're more heavenly minded and so you're no earthly good. So there's stuff for you to do, but there's also a goal. And one of the things we need is companionship as we go along this journey. And of course your first companion is God. And I'm doing this in reverse order by the way, because most of us don't come to a knowledge of God until, you know, beyond infancy. But the first one is God. And for those of you who have read the Chronicles of Narnia, which I also recommend, a great set of books if you haven't read them. I've actually not read them. I've heard them read aloud. My dear wife read them aloud to each of our three children as they came to an appropriate age. So I actually know a great deal about them even though I haven't read them. I've heard them read. It's like an audio book. And in one of the vignettes, the metaphor, of course, is that Christ is a lion big fierce lion and one of the three children says is it safe and the guide says well no he's not safe but he is good so one of the things that's going to happen with God is he is going to put you into circumstances that are not safe but understand that his purpose for putting you in those circumstances is good so the next one is, of course, community, what you have here. And the idea is your friends and fellow believers can sort of pick you up and help you when you're not feeling so good. And we all get through that. 
And so having a group of like-minded people around you is a source of encouragement, either encouragement that you give or encouragement that you receive. It's also a source of correction. There's all sorts of stuff that I don't do because I would just be terribly embarrassed if you all found out about it. True, okay? <laughs> There's lots of stuff that I don't do simply because I would die of embarrassment if any of you found out about it. So the community here keeps my feet sort of moving in the right direction because by myself or just me and God, I will stray. And then, of course, the third, which is the first, is your family. Everybody gets born into a family, and some of us sometimes regret that, but that's the way it works. We all get born into a family. Remember I said, Moses said originally, choose life that you and your offspring may live. So the goal of a family then is to physically begin life, pass on life. That's the first goal. But then the second goal is to encourage and nurture that life so that your offspring will also choose life. So, channeling my inner Baptist here, three sources of companionship. God, the community, and your family. All of them are important. So I'll close here with a quote from Philippians. Philippians 1.6 I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. So you're on a path you know what your destination is. And what I'm telling you is have faith that the one who is your companion will not leave you or forsake you until the journey is over and you're in his presence. Let us shine.